Blue Wire. The Detroit Pistons select Sekou Dubuya. The boy gets run off the line. Down the lane. My goodness. Look at that. Pistons come right back at him with a bruise. Oh, oh, oh. Jam. Dishes to Luke for the long gun. It goes. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Pistons versus Everybody, the Detroit Pistons podcast from the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, and tonight I am joined by the infamous Joe Truck. What's up, Joe? Nothing much. How are you, Laz? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm doing better now that I know that Reggie Jackson is back for this team. Actually, I don't know. Am I? Am I doing better? How do you feel about Reggie's return? Um. I'm pretty excited about it as much as anything, just because I really like Reggie Jackson. Um, I've just always had a soft spot for him ever since he came to the Pistons. So I'm just excited to see him back. I hope that he's able to to finish out the year well and sort of be healthy and such. Um, as far as the Pistons' actual outlook, I don't know that it will change much. Uh, he'll be probably be better than Tim Frazier has been, so that'll be nice, but... I don't know that he's – I'm pretty sure he's not good enough or at least – and he missed like what, three months, four months? So Something like that, yeah. So I don't expect him to be, to be that good. So it's not like he's going to suddenly make the Pistons good enough now that I'm going to be terribly excited about it, especially with the potential trades looming over the rest of the team. Um, so, yeah, I mean – I'm excited just because I like Reggie Jackson, but I don't know that it's terribly meaningful beyond that. Yeah, I I wonder about if he doesn't look amazing, but he looks competent. He makes the front office feel better about making the coaching staff feel better about a Derrick Rose trade. Just like, hey, like we we don't have to. It's like if we trade Derrick Rose, well, like we you will still have a point guard to play, and like you can still try and win games, and like. Uh, still do your due diligence as a coach and like, don't worry about that. We've got you as opposed to just like, if you, if Reggie was still hurt and you traded Derek Rose and it's like, Hey, like go play Jordan bone, like 20 minutes. Like we need to see what we have in Jordan bone. Like Dwayne Casey would do that, but like, I don't think he would enjoy it very much. And so I, I think it'll be good for morale if nothing else. Yeah. And I mean, as much as anything sort of on that note too is, this was not necessarily the case in OKC, but since he's gotten to Detroit, you hear pretty much nothing but good things about Reggie, and um, most of his teammates seem to like him at this point. He seems to fit in pretty well, so that's another thing. It's just I think people like to see him back once again, especially if he can be healthy and play pretty well and go into this summer with some actual outlook of getting a little bit of money at least. So, yeah, I think it'll be good for morale, like you said, but I'm not sure that it's necessarily going to have a significant impact beyond that uh you know unless he like played incredible i'm not sure there is a degree to which he could play well enough to where they could trade him yet <laughs> before the <laughs> yeah. deadline um and i don't think that he's gonna and you know he'd have to play pretty remarkably good to make this team really worth anything and i don't think he's going to do that uh and on the derrick rose trading thing my understanding is that they don't want to trade him because there was some a sort of spoken agreement between him and the front office that they weren't going to trade him unless he wanted to be traded. And uh, I've heard that, by all accounts, Derek does not want to be traded. He wants to stay here at least through this year. So I just don't know that it's going to impact a whole lot of 
anything other than just potentially making the Pistons slightly less miserable to watch. Oh, yeah, that's fair. I know that that makes a lot of sense because we know about the Arn Tellum connection and everything. We know that uh, Derek, if Derek like wanted to be a Laker, he, he like could have been a Laker this offseason, and he did not choose that. He chose to come to Detroit. Um, it's just... It's interesting, though, from we have this long history in in Pistons fandom of uh, trading guys too late. Like we're seeing that with Andre Drummond. Um, there's like always the chance that um, Derek gets hurt tomorrow or tonight. And in, in, I guess since they play tonight and they're not able to recoup like any value for him. And so like there's always like that kind of looming over over everything. There's the fact that the Pistons have a lot of. Uh, ball handlers that they would like to get a good look at in like in Jordan bone in Bruce Brown, like in Luke Kennard, even though like Derek Rose and Luke Kennard play pretty well. And both those guys, guys were on the court and Luke Kennard isn't even healthy right now. Um, you know, the top of the draft has a lot of ball handlers. And so like, if Derek Rose is going to be on this team, like past this season and into next season, like, will he be blocking the development of a guy you take at the top of the draft? Like that doesn't seem like an ideal situation to me. And so it it like from from a lot of perspectives it makes sense to trade Derrick Rose, but from like a, a human perspective, from a maintaining relationships around the league perspective, it, it makes a lot of sense not to. So I can see why I was like I'm just a little bit uh, frustrated on the uh, on the Derrick Rose front. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you to the degree that um, the best you know in a perfect world, yeah, the best situation would be to trade him. Uh, sooner rather than later, because I think his value, even if he doesn't get hurt, I doubt that his value will get higher than it's at at the moment because he's playing really well. And I've actually talked about this a couple of times on Twitter and also on our podcast with Koo that, um, you know, if, if the Pistons had not gotten everybody hurt, he would not look as good because he is shooting terribly. His defense would be more of a concern. Uh, just in, you know, all of the little stuff beyond just the fact that he's a capable ball handler and he can get his own buckets. Uh, that would be a lot bigger issue if Blake Griffin, Reggie Jackson both hadn't been hurt all year and that, you know, Luke Kennard's even missed a bunch of time recently. So I think that now is when his value is going to be highest, but I wouldn't necessarily put it in with, you know, a thing where they trade him too late or screw it up. Like if there was a spoken agreement, um, you know, the Pistons can't afford to have any become any less desirable as a free agent <laughs> destination. Fair. And so, you know, if that's the sort of thing that it look, I mean, Derrick Rose wasn't like some superstar acquisition, but if that's the kind of thing, and he's only on a two year contract. So if that's the kind of thing that you that the Pistons do to get good players, I don't necessarily hate that basic premise. Um, the more thing that I'm confused about is why Derrick Rose wouldn't want to go to L.A., <laughs> quite frankly, instead of languishing on this terrible Pistons team. But, hey, if that's what the man wants, I mean, it's pretty well documented that he's uh, he sometimes he, he marches to a little bit of a different beat than a lot of other guys do. So maybe that's that, just what this is. That's a very kind characterization. <laughs> um, but, no, I mean, like he, he does have prior experience playing next to LeBron and not being successful at it. So maybe like the LA thing individually makes sense. Uh, like, you know, Philly is also called that makes a lot more sense to me, but 
I get the sense that he is kind of relishing the role he is in right now, right? Like he's relishing having the ball in his hands a lot. He's relishing like being able to to key the offense and he's relishing, you know, not necessarily having other ball handlers on the floor to take away his possessions. And like he wouldn't get that on a better team. So I I, I can kind of see why like selfishly he might not want to play for the Lakers in which like he'd be running like a lot of pick and rolls with Anthony Davis and the demand would be like, get the ball to Anthony Davis. Yeah. And and you kind of touched on it too, but you know, so he's played with LeBron before. I think he also probably, and this would be pretty in line with everything that seems to be true of him. Like just as a dude where he's probably enjoying being not in the spotlight so much. Cause I mean, you know, I, I mostly think LeBron is pretty awesome, but you can't deny that there's no way to get around that being on a team with LeBron James must just be exhausting just because of the media coverage. And it's just, it's a circus, even at the best of times. And so I think that that's also something that he probably is enjoying about being in Detroit. He's kind of able to do his thing. He's playing well. So the people who like him are paying attention, but everyone else is kind of like, oh, he's just kind of playing in Detroit and we can ignore him. So a lot of the negative energy that often has been attached with Derrick Rose in his play, oftentimes rightfully so, he's kind of able to just not have to deal with in Detroit because it's, well, it's, it's Detroit instead of, you know, the Lakers with LeBron James. So, yeah. What do you, what do you think of Kyle Kuzma, by the way, like in just purely hypothetical, like what would you, what would you think of Kyle Kuzma on this Pistons team in place of Derrick Rose? Uh, hmm. I don't love it. Certainly. Um, they could do worse. <laughs> that is a I ringing guess. endorsement. Okay. So here's the plus side. Kyle Kuzma He's 24, so he's on the he's not like one of these super young guys, but he is on the younger side. He'd be on a similar timeline as you know Luke, Bruce, Christian um, Woods, me, and Christian Wood. Yeah, um, he plays a position that the Pistons would need as a sort of big wing. Him and um, him and Seku could sort of team up as you know kind of big wings together. The main issue is I think both Seku and Kyle Kuzma fit best as power forwards. But they're they're already going to have an issue with that if Blake comes back and all healthy next year. But I mean, so hypothetically, he fits the team in terms of they could use a big wing. He can get his own shot. That's also something they obviously need. But the downside is, uh, first off, he is 24. He's not like a 20 year old where you're confident he's going to get a lot better. He's not that good of a shooter from deep. He doesn't really play defense. He doesn't really rebound. So. I'm not convinced that he's that good. I think he's just a decent NBA rotation player. So hypothetically, he fits him pretty well because he plays the right position and he kind of has some skills that the Pistons could use. But I mean, yeah, I would, if that's what the Pistons got back, I wouldn't be upset about it, but I also would, I would not be that excited about it. I'd be like, okay. We'll see if he can maybe do something, but I wouldn't exactly hold my breath for it. Yeah, two things are like just really going against Kuzma. Uh, the fact that he's streaky, uh, like there are, you can like look, there are definitely like peaks and valleys, like from a game to game perspective, from as far as like his scoring output goes. He'll shoot like 42% from three for like a couple weeks, and then he'll shoot like 28% from three 
from for a couple weeks and ideally like you would like to have a more consistent like output than that and uh the other thing going against him in my mind at least this is probably a good thing for him but not for the pistons is that he is classically like the type of player who gets overpaid and like he and uh luke would be coming up on their restrictive free agency years like simultaneously and so like i would not want to pay both of those guys what they're likely going to get in restricted free agency just because that's going to make building around Seku in the future like more difficult than it has to be if that makes any sense actually yeah, that kind of leads me naturally into like what what else i wanted to talk to you about which was your piece on detroit bad boys about how well like luke and Seku fit together like summarize that a little bit for the audience who may or may not like read detroit bad boys um, also, all the people who clearly looked at the headline and then didn't actually read <laughs> and it. didn't get any farther. There are clearly a lot of people who did that, especially on Reddit. Clearly, a lot of people thought I was just asking the question, just wanted them to answer, which was frustrating. That's why I get for title pieces of question. But I um, resigned myself to not say bad things about the Pistons subreddit. Just continue. <laughs> you do what you want to do. I, I've, there, there's not really any defending them. Even people who use Reddit know that Reddit is mostly trash, so that's okay. Um, as far as how Seku and Luke fit, uh, I wrote the piece because I was just kind of looking at it. Initially, it was just going to be a Luke piece, but I ended up just kind of sidetracking into it being about Luke and Seku because – there's a lot of ways in which they seem like they would they'll fit really well. First off, they didn't play they haven't played at all together uh, this season, obviously or previous seasons because Seku's a rookie. Um, so before Luke got hurt, Seku hadn't played with him at all. So obviously it's all hypothetical, but here's a lot of ways. First off, obviously they played different positions, which is good, but there's a lot of ways in which there's sort of a yin and yang to them, where Seku seems like he's at least right now going to thrive as a sort of off-ball killer. He's a good shooter. He's a willing shooter, which is something that a lot of people actually, they th- people underestimate how valuable that is. You know, the difference between being Langston Galloway or Luke Kennard as a spot-up shooter, that's significant where, you know, just being willing to shoot and Seku is very willing to shoot. Uh, he's also a really good cutter. I've been hugely impressed with his cutting. He's obviously a really, really good athlete, good defender, whereas Luke is not some stupendous athlete or anything, but Luke also is far more capable with the ball in his hands. He kind of likes to take his time. Um, and also they, they, they score in different areas too. So Seku is almost all spot up threes and cutting to the basket for hoops. I think he's only attempted like three or four mid range shots this season. Maybe that I think three is what I had when I wrote the piece and Luke takes a decent amount of mid ranges, but he's one of the guys where he's such a good shooter that, it's okay that he takes mid-range shots. So uh, I just really think that, you know, having two young players who clearly have a pretty good basketball IQ where Luke is, a, you know, sometimes he's he makes inaccurate passes, but he's a smart passer. And then Seku is a guy who's really good at finding gaps, whether in transition or on cuts, for guys to pass him the ball. And, you know, Luke likes to have the ball in his hands. That's the reason why Luke has had trouble getting along with uh, Blake Griffin that last year and for the short time they played together this year. There's a clear decrease in Luke's effectiveness when he plays with Blake Griffin. And um, I brought this up in the piece. I'm not going to bother to bring up the piece to get the exact numbers, but um, in terms of how many dribbles guys take before they shoot most often, 
Luke Kennard dribbles as much as anybody on this team the last two years other than Blake Griffin before he shoots on average. So that's a big issue playing with Blake. But Seku, in his hypothetical future, obviously he'll we'd hope that he's more capable as a ball handler than he's been so far as a rookie, but that's fine. He's 19. But, you know, it means that they should be able to fit just fine. That shouldn't be an issue with those two. Uh, so I really think that they could be a really killer sort of Seku as the off-ball, really long athlete, runs out in transition, plays defense, and Luke is a sort of cagey ball handler who's a good shooter and can score in the mid-range. I just There's a lot of things that about their games that I just think will fit really, really well and really cleanly together. So I'm, I, I can't wait for Luke to come back, and I'm excited to see how they look on the floor together. I liked I liked the piece a lot. I want to start with that. I did kind of wonder, though, because like the hope for Seku is that he becomes a better ball handler. He becomes a primary ball handler. He becomes a guy who is good enough to take the ball out of Luke's hands. And so you end up in a similar situation to where Luke was with Blake Griffin. Like, obviously, that's not going to happen right away because Seku is 19. And I feel we, we do have to preface that with everything because there was like a week and a half where uh, Seku was being like christened by Pistons Twitter. And like it was a little early for that, guys. But, uh, you know, I, but at the same time, like I want him to get those reps on an NBA court. Right. I do want him to I want him to try and fail as a driver, as a slasher, as a as a pick and roll ball handler, honestly. And so I wonder how if he, and I, I wonder if he's going to be this like devastating off ball movement guy uh is is that going to like prohibit uh the reps that he needs to be the primary ball handler guy that that i want him to be and i, I suspect the answer is like i'm i'm overthinking this a little bit um but i i am also curious to see like how how he plays with luke right now uh you know whenever whenever luke gets healthy be, because like like Seiko right now is playing just like he's playing like a much much better version of tony snell and like while that type of player is very valuable, that's also like not what I want for Seku. And so I'm just I'm worried about how that that continues to play out as we as like as we you know, go on through the years, you know? I mean so I don't know that necessarily a lead ball handler is necessarily what you need Seku to become. Um I've tweeted that I don't like the Pascal Siakam comparison that much for various reasons, but that's the one everybody uses, so we'll just go with that. So just an ex- example, this year, Pascal Siakam is assisted on, like, I think f- like 15% more of his buckets than Blake Griffin was last year. He dribbles a lot less. Like, a big part of, like, last year, Pascal Siakam didn't have the ball in his hands that much hardly at all because, obviously, playing with Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry and such. And then this year with Kawhi Leonard gone, Kyle Lowry, you know, he's getting, he got a year older, so he takes another step back, et cetera. He does a lot more, but he's not a guy who dominates the ball. And, you know, there are guys who they're able to be big time scores, maybe even a number one option uh, without necessarily dribbling a bunch is really the point. So like, for instance, I mean, this is a little different, but like last year, Luke Kennard and Reggie Jackson played together just fine. Reggie Jackson likes to have the ball in his hands too, but it's just the degree to which Blake likes to dribble the air out of the ball and a lot of, you know, similar stars like to dribble the air out of the ball. It just clearly does not mesh well with Luke because Luke kind of likes to dribble the air out of the ball. And I've touched on this before. I actually think the last time I was on your podcast, I think we talked about this a little bit, but 
to be clear, Luke has some responsibility there too. He needs to get better at just being a spot up guy and sort of moving off the ball and such. But or or just get better as like an, a rim attacker, like draw some free throws or, or like convert. He actually drew a lot of free throws before he got hurt. He was he, drawing them at a higher was. rate than Derrick Rose's. He was. <laughs> um, but you know, so and and it looks like so basically, let's just say hypothetically, I don't know if the Pistons had drafted like Dennis Smith Jr. Okay, and it's like very quickly, it's abundantly clear Dennis Smith Jr. likes to have the ball in his hands. He likes to dribble a lot. That might be an issue with Luke Kennard. It's very clear already that Sekou Dumboya is not a guy, even as, you know, obviously we want to become more of a ball handler than he's been right now. And that's fine because, as you said, he's only 19. It's okay that he's not right now. But clearly it's not going to hinder his game to play with another guy who likes to have the ball. Because, like, Blake Griffin last year, obviously when he was younger this was different, but as a Piston, when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he does basically nothing and never wants to do anything, which is true of a decent number of ball-dominant stars. Yeah. And so it's very clear already that Seiko is a guy who, unless he learns really bad habits, he knows how to play off the ball. So when that means that you know, even if he becomes, even if he gets to the point where he is a primary ball handler, he's still going to be fine doing stuff off the ball. So even if Luke has the ball a little less than Luke might like to, when Luke has the ball, Seku's not going to be already going back on defense or anything else that Blake Griffin did that made Luke less effective. So, yeah, that's just, I get your point that, you know, you don't want to, we want Seku to have a chance to do these things. I wouldn't be worried about it this year, at least. Right now, I'd say he should mostly focus on, you know, sticking with the things that he's been doing well, and he can start to try and spread his wings a little bit next year. But I get that, but I mean, there's going to be more than one ball handler on the floor most of the time. Uh, so, you know, it's, that's fine. Just very clearly, he's a guy who he is not going to, he, he's not going to be bothered by not having the ball in his hands so much because he can still find ways to make things happen. So if he adds even a dat, I'm, what was he averaging as a starter right now? Like 13, like 14, 14 points a game? Yeah, something so, like that. You know, I mean, he adds even a small dash of playmaking from that and ball handling, and he's a 18 points per game score. And that's with, you know, a very small amount. So I guess that's more the the point I was trying to get at, I guess. Okay. No, I, okay. I can see that. So my logical follow-up question to this piece is like, okay, Luke and Seku are set in stone for the foreseeable future for this Pistons team. Like, what are the type of pieces that you need to surround those two guys with in order to be like a successful playoff team? Um, first off, I would say that Svi Mikhailuk deserves to be in this conversation. Um, he's well, I mean, in, like, I'm, I'm, I, I and and Bruce, but like, I'm, I'm just Bruce less so. Um, yeah, okay. I'm higher so. on Svi than I am on Bruce long term because. If Bruce can, and I actually wrote a piece about this for Detroit Bad Boys as well, about Bruce and the progress that he's made as a ball handler and point guard, but he's still got a long ways to go there. And I think if he doesn't get to the point, because when he was on the floor without another ball handler, the offense was terrible, even if he individually was making clear progress. So he's got a long way to go before he's like an actual NBA caliber point guard. And I think if he doesn't make that, he's not that useful. He shot a little bit better from three, but he almost never shoots, so no one guards him anyways. 
Uh, his defense is pretty good, but it's not as good as it sometimes looks. Uh, he's got a little bit of that Avery Bradley syndrome where when he's on the ball, he looks killer a lot of the time, but you know he sometimes has issues off the ball and he doesn't necessarily make you better as a rebounding team. Uh, so I just, I'm less high on him long term. I'm interested in him because of the fact that he's made that progress as a ball handler. I want to see what he can do more of that. And he's got one more year on his rookie contract. So obviously you keep him at least one more year, but I would actually put Svi above him because it's very, I guess here's the best way to put it. Svi has already shown there's a very clear way that he fits into a good basketball team, right? And it's basically doing what he's been doing on a better team. He'd have the ball in his hands a little bit less, which is good because he gets blocked like every time he goes to the rim. But, you know, it's very clear the guy, and he's a legit shooter, and he has not been a total trash fire on defense, and he's a pretty smart player. He can work off of dribble handoffs and that kind of thing. Uh, Whereas Bruce, on a good team that doesn't have all their point guards hurt, so I'm the last, whatever, however, what, three games that Derrick Rose has started and they've actually played Tim Frazier, and then obviously Reggie Jackson is back now. Uh, he's been a little bit invisible, right, with Bruce. Right. And so I think that's kind of, not that Bruce is a bad player, he's a useful player, even as an off-ball guy, where just because he brings good defense, he can cut pretty well. But I'm not as convinced of him as a really central long-term piece. But to actually answer your question, what kind of pieces around them? Um, obviously, you need to find a point guard in the situation. Uh, in the end, I'm not too picky about what type of player that point guard is because you really need a good point guard in the NBA, and there's a lot of different ways that you can be a good point guard in the NBA. So in a perfect world, I suppose it'd be, I don't know, something akin to... In a perfect world, it'd probably be like something akin to Reggie Jackson last year when he's on, where, you know, good shooter, at least plays pretty hard on defense, can get his own shot, but doesn't need to dominate the ball. Uh, that would be something. But, like, let's just say – now, he's he's a little bit old for them, but let's just say that they ended up with Eric Bledsoe because um, the Bucks supposedly don't want him anymore. I wouldn't trade for Eric Bledsoe, just to be clear. Let's yeah, just yeah. say that's the type of player they ended up with. It wouldn't be a perfect fit because Eric Bledsoe is not a great shooter. He's not a great passer. But Eric Bledsoe is also really good. So I would be fine with that. More than anything else, you just need to get a good point guard. Uh, I'm not terribly picky about how other than like really extreme things. Like I probably wouldn't want Ricky Rubio because his lack of shooting and scoring just – I think it just hamstrings you. Uh, So, yeah, you need a point guard. I'm not picky about how you just need to get a good point guard. So I like this year, even when Luke played with Derrick Rose, they worked pretty well, even though Derrick Rose doesn't really fit what you would think would make Luke Kennard that much better. He dribbles a lot. He doesn't really play defense. He doesn't space the floor, but just being a good point guard, it makes things better. So I'm not picky about what the sort of point guard he is really just get a good point guard somehow or another. Um, in a perfect world, I'd like to have something akin to sort of Marcus Morris as the wing next to Seiku, someone who is maybe a little bit more capable as a as a ball handler. Um, you know, can, because I think that that could have Seiku could have a sort of similar. I see his ball handling scoring game in the future being somewhat similar to Tobias Harris's, 
where he's not necessarily someone who's going to dribble a bunch, but he's got a killer first step so he can get around guys. He's big enough. He can post up occasionally, and he's a good shooter and a smooth finisher. But he's not someone who's going to you know dribble back and forth with several crossovers before pulling up for a mid-range shot or anything like that. So, And I still really liked the dynamic that Marcus Morris and Tobias Harris had um, when they were both on the Pistons. I really liked that dynamic where you've got two guys who can get their own buckets, but they do it in different ways, but they can both shoot. I think that would be the sort of small forward or power forward, whatever. I guess at that point, it'd just be nominal. You can swap them however you want. But that would be the sort of player that I would want at small forward next to Seku because I think that would be a really good fit. And then at center, it's a little tough to say because how big is Seku going to end up being? He's already a good rebounder, but like if Seku ends up getting a lot stronger to where he's really a monstrous rebounder, then you can go a little bit smaller, maybe a little more finesse as a center, go for someone who's more of a shooter. But if Seku stays about, you know, so once again, just because everyone compares him to Pascal Siakam, if his size ends up being similar to Pascal Siakam, where, you know, he's a good enough athlete and he's got good hands, so he's a good rebounder, but he's not exactly a beefy dude. Um, then you might want someone who's a little bit more of a of a grunt. Um, and also, of course, it kind of depends on who you get as a point guard. So basically, I think in my opinion, you don't want to have – ideally, you don't have more than one bad shooter on the floor at times, and you can't have more than two. So if you get a point guard who's a really good shooter, so let's just say that they got like Fred Van Vliet, because that's a name that a lot of people have tossed around. I'm not actually a huge fan of him either, but whatever. Uh, so you've got a guy who's a really good shooter. Then just go get a, you know, spend a little bit of money on some rim running center who boxes out and he does big man stuff. And that's all you need. But if you've got someone like Eric Bledsoe, you might want something that's a little more shooting. Then also, of course, you've got the advantage of having a really killer defender. Uh, out on the perimeter so you don't need to worry as much about you know rim protection and that kind of thing so uh you know this is really the thing that's nice about and one of the things that i highlighted in the piece about luke and seiku is that they're both fairly flexible in what they could fit in so there's a lot of different ways i mean so seiku i think he's best as a power forward long term but he certainly could play small forward uh if he gets big and strong enough you could even do some small ball center with him potentially Luke is obviously best as a shooting guard, but he's got a chance he can do some lead ball handling duties. We've already seen that this season. And if you've got enough umph up front, he can even get by for at least short stretches as a small ball three. So, you know, there's a lot of variation. That's one of the reasons why I'm pretty excited for that pair going forward is that there's a lot of different ways, hypothetically at least, that you could use them and make it work. So that's basically the thing. So, like, that's the issue with, say, Andre Drummond is there is a team that you could build that could be a really killer team with Andre Drummond as your center making a lot of money. The problem is you kind of need a specific thing. So you need to have a pick-and-roll ball handler, right, like to make the most out of Andre Drummond. And then you'd also want a guy who's a really good shooter who can work in dribble handoffs. But like with Seku and Luke, if you don't have a – so once again, if you get – Fred Van Vliet, who's not necessarily a big pick-and-roll ball handler, well, that's fine. You don't need to run pick-and-roll. But if you do get a pick-and-roll ball handler who plays with their center, and that's fine. Pick-and-roll, you'll create open shots and open cutting lanes for them on the outside. 
So yeah, I think that there's a lot of variation you could go with it. The main thing I think, I guess, would be I would love to see a wing player next to Seku in a similar vein as Marcus Morris because I really loved the dynamic between Marcus Morris and Tobias Harris when they were both on the Pistons, and I would really like to see that happen again. Okay, you said a lot of stuff, but yeah, when I start speaking, it just kind of I just kind of vomited out. And... No, it was good. It was good. Don't don't worry about that. So the reason the reason I even like asked that question though is because like as Luke and Seku are the the core pieces of like what the future iteration of of this team is going to look like. Like and we're coming up on uh, this year's draft, in which we are presumably going to add a third piece around a Luke Seku core. Like I'm trying to envision like what player in that draft is going to be best that fits like alongside those guys. And like this draft is stacked at. Well, I don't know if this draft is stacked at point guard, but there is a lot of point guards in this draft. And so, like, it's easy to imagine taking one of those guys and hoping that guy turns into, like, as you said, just a good NBA point guard and having that be enough uh, ball handling between the three of them to where, like, maybe you don't necessarily need a more ball handling from your from your like secondary wing person or from your center. The like the tricky thing is with those guys is defensively. Like, you are going to need somebody to uh you are going to need a system in which like Luke Kennard is your worst defensive player because like that is an acceptable worst defensive player to have at the at the NBA level but like that that was part of the reason why like I was concerned about the Derrick Rose well the part of the reason I was concerned about Derrick Rose and Luke Kennard like starting is because like those guys are both kind of bad defensively and like that wasn't going to be sustainable against other teams starting level like backcourts like against bench units like sure fine absolutely just like outscore them uh like 20 to 10 and like win that way but like if if you're going to start and you're going to have uh an impact defensively like you 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 have to surround those guys with better talent on that end and so like in in that vein like i like your pick of like another marcus morris type next to seku like again like when i'm thinking about guys in the draft um there doesn't really like none no one in this year's draft kind of screams to me like two-way wing with who can like also handle the ball a little bit like maybe you get into like your Aaron Henry's and like the the kid from Arizona or um what's his face uh I know a lot of draft Knicks love Isaac Okoro and I probably need to see more of Okoro and I don't think Okoro will like ever be the the kind of ball handler even Marcus Morris is and so like there's that but but yeah i think um oh in the center position the center position is tricky just because like it's so difficult for me to imagine like what the pistons need at center that's not andre drummond just because we've watched andre drummond for seven years and so i've just gotten so used to that being the type of center that like that you see on the court a guy i keep coming back to is uh is like uh if you want just like a rim runner rebounder uh guy who like uh plays really well defensively within like a team's co- concept the guy I keep coming back to is like nerlens noel who's like young ish not uh like young older than luke i believe but like not yet like 28 or 29 either and so he's a guy who could theoretically like move into his prime 
um, alongside the rest of those guys and like, and be effective in that, in the role of like shot blocker, rebounder, uh, energy guy, hustler, defender. Um, and, and so, and at that point, like you need your point guard to not be terrible defensively. And then, uh, you need the second wing to not be terrible defensively and you're set. The, the problem I keep coming back to is like, where are you going to find the second wing to put next to Seku? Because the entire, the entire league like covets these six, seven, six, eight dudes who, uh, who can shoot threes and defend and like maybe ball handle a little bit. And if they can pass, like that's even better. And so like, but, and like none of those guys exist in this year's draft. And so like just me, like struggling to figure out like where that dude's going to come from is the thing that's like tearing me up inside when I'm thinking about like the future iteration of this pistons like i can i can you can find a point guard you can find a center like that wing dude like that is the spot that's going to be troublesome but like you're you're totally right though in that like if if luke and seku are your like two best offensive players then like that is that is a team that could probably work given if seku's progression is like as maybe not linear but as like as steady as we hope it is like that's a team that that's a team that could work offensively um, it's just like defensively, you just can't have sieves at, at point guard. And you, and I don't think Seku is going to turn into some kind of like on ball stopper or anything crazy like that. But, uh, you also can't have like another sieve next to him right now. I don't, I don't see his role in the NBA being like insane defensive guy. And so you, you need another wing player who can take on those matchups so that he doesn't have to, I guess. Yeah, I just want to say Nerlens Noel is not good. I do not want Nerlens Noel. Really? Yeah, I don't think he's any good at all. I was uh, I was fighting with some people about Stephen Adams, and I was looking up his numbers, and he's been uh, really effective this year. Yeah, I just that dude makes a lot of mental mistakes. Yeah, that's fair. He's I mean, like Christian like, Wood, but for defense. <laughs> well. I mean, like we talked about Bruce and we talked about speed. We didn't really talk about Wood. Did, does Wood have like a place in your long-term view of the of the Pistons? Uh, I mean, the thing that's tricky with him is he's a unrestricted free agent this summer, so yes. it's hard to know. You know, you so you've got to pay him hypothetically some amount long-term. You've got to make that decision. Whereas with those other guys, you've got at least one more year, so you can have a you know a year of a of tanking where they all do a bunch of stuff to see if they're worth keeping long-term. So like, for instance, with when I was talking about Bruce, hopefully next year he has more ball handling duties and you kind of give that to him the whole year. And if he really comes into that, it's like, Oh, he's got this, then you pay him long-term and you make it work. And if not, then it's like, okay, he's just kind of a back end rotation guard who is a defensive specialist, which maybe you keep at that point. Maybe you don't, but Um, so with wood though, you don't really get that hypothetically, if they trade Andre at the deadline, he'll get a lot of minutes then. But the main thing is, I don't know that he's ever going to be better than a good backup and he's already 24. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, It may, it makes it tricky. And like the other thing is like good backups make decent money yeah but like not as much money as to where like some team could absolutely blow you out of the water for christian wood if they see something you don't 
and then like you don't have him anymore. Yeah. I guess the best way for me to put it with Wood is I don't I don't care that much. <laughs> um if I they should try to keep him probably I wouldn't actually hate trying to even trade him at the deadline if someone gave you something for him just because he isn't expiring but assuming they don't do that they should try and keep him because you know I mean he's he's 24 is older than their other young players but he's still young enough and at the very least I mean even if they go full tank right they trade everybody and they have like other than their young guys they have only garbage players they don't sign a single nba caliber player next year uh they'll need bodies and at the very least christian wood will have massive dunks on people occasionally and be kind of fun uh but i would not put a lot of hope into him becoming more than just a a good backup um, it'd be kind of like if Bruce doesn't progress as a point guard, similar thing, more nice player. He can do some stuff to, for you, but I'm not, I don't think that he's moving the needle much either way. So they should probably try to keep him unless they get a good, if they got a good deal for him at the deadline, I would be fine with moving him. Assuming that doesn't happen, they should try to keep him, but whether they do or not, I'm not, I'm just not worried about it too much. Yeah, there's no like when we're when we're talking about like the my these ideal situations of like what a team based around Luke Kennard and Sekou Dumbuya like looks like like two years from now, like Christian Wood is not the starting center on that team. Like who cares what other people tell you? Like that's that's not happening. Well the main the main the main thing with him that people have to understand is and it's already started to happen, his shooting is going to regress. Yep. Okay. It's already starting to happen. He was at over 40% for a while. He's now down to 36%. I think he's shooting like 20% over the last 10 games or so. But in the G League, right, in his G League career, Christian Wood took almost 400 three-point attempts, right? So we have a real sample size here, and he shot 28%. Last year in the G League, he took 100 shots from deep, and he shot 26%, right? Like, maybe he has improved and he'll shoot, like, 32 33%, which that's nice, but he is not... There's people who say, well, he's a good stretch four or stretch center, and it's like, he he's not going to be that. Uh, so, I, I do think he's improved on defense as the season's gone along, which I like. So, yeah, I mean, if they keep him, I'm fine with that, but I'm just... I'm not worried about it. I think he's a backup center long-term, so if they keep him, then... I who knows maybe maybe they get a starting caliber center next year and Blake's healthy and then they have a backup center and they go try and make the playoffs and if everybody's hurt or traded and he starts and it's like well he's not the long term starting center but he's a body he fills the need and he'll make the team entertaining every few nights by just having massive dunks on people so yeah yeah I'm starting to wonder if there's just some value in having a a big man who will just like stand out there and, and chuck threes. I'm wondering like enforce the defense to take like that half step towards him just cause you'll never know if it'll be his night. And so like, I wonder if even if wood uh, tops out as like a 32% guy, I wonder if that still has some value, but like, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's definitely got some value. Yeah. Uh, it just people who've, who, 
because he started off the year shooting so well from three, there are a lot yeah. of people who got it in their heads that that's he's a really good shooter. That you know, it's like Anthony Tolliver from shooting, except he also can dunk on people. Like that's that's not what it's 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 not going to be that. <laughs> it really isn't. All right, Joe. That was that was a fun conversation, man. Thank you so much for for coming on the pod. Uh, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find your work. Tell them about the podcast. Like, let them know. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Truck. Um, I write with you at Detroit Bad Boys. Uh, you can read my game previews and recaps either on my site, which is just Truck Thoughts, or I also put them on the Pistons subreddit. And me and the esteemed Kumail Cahill also have a podcast, which is hashtag Pistons, which you can listen to. We are the most credentialed podcast on the internet. So, yeah, I think that's really all I've got. No, that's- <laughs> I mean, that's true. I would recommend the Joe and Koo podcast for the sumo discussion. That is where I get my my sumo takes. And of course, if you want some basketball takes, takes you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. I host a second podcast, the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. You can find that wherever you found this one. And I also write and edit on DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should read. All right. Thanks, every. Thanks, everyone. That was Pistons versus everybody. And we will talk to y'all next week.